0: Well, this is a brilliant idea. I this is uh, yeah. I'm talking to uh, filmmaker Valan Trub. Now, you see, I would have thought Trub,
1: which and is I, I like, Trub Russian better. That's yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, the original pronunciation. And you have a Russian look. Yeah, I think it's the beard. It's it's sort of a young Yakov Smirnoff it's the look, beard. The
1: which is dead eyes. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Dead eyes. Now you say that. <laughs> Why uh, now Russians? I talked to Dan Dan uh, Janis about this about, uh, Russian, he's, he's of Russian heritage, first generation here, and... Same here? Yeah. He says that when a certain amount of, um, history rolls a certain way, and, you know, you, you have certain, like, difficulties obtaining food, or, you know, like, whatever in the Soviet Union that makes it so, you know, you're standing in line for toilet paper, he says that's what turns people this way. It's sort of like Wizard of Oz, when you see what's behind the curtain...
1: You know, you look at the wizard a little differently. Oh, I see. And okay. we're in the city. Everywhere I look, I see wizards,
0: you know, so. that the, the, the Russian people, what's the moment that they saw behind the curtain? Well, it's also two different experiences, because I'm
1: Russian-Jewish, so there's that experience. So is he, he is that, yeah. yes, okay. And so there's, like, the double experience, where it's, like, shitty people shitting on you, you know? Oh. When I say shitty, I don't mean their shit, I mean their experience is shitty.
0: So, oh. So
1: it's, like... Oh, I see. So no one really has it great, and that was the one thing that they did accomplish during the Soviet Union. Everyone was equally
0: shitty. <laughs> that's great. That's what That's what communism does. Yeah, equality. And, and and why? Can you believe now that you have a somebody who, the very likely, you know, socialist. Uh, I guess she'll be a uh, in the House of Representatives. She's
1: gonna, We're gonna be seeing her face seventy years from now. She's gonna be Speaker one day, if not President. You really think that they can gloss over all her ignorance? I'd, I'd almost rather have her as president because that would just get her out of the way, as opposed to having her in Congress for several generations down the line. Maybe you're right.
0: Makes a killer Margarita. Oh yeah, <laughs> she's got all the right all the right experience, you know, to recommend her. Well, we'll see about that. Uh, I'm talking about ocasio Cortez, but that, that it does yeah, signify you know, something. I mean, the fact that this is happening, it just means life
1: is too good, which is a good thing. We should all be very happy about that. Because uh-huh. when you start thinking about things the way now we see being thought about on social media, it's because a lot of problems that used to exist just aren't there anymore. Yeah. So it's a sign of, of good times. The key is
0: how do you find that right balance? Okay. Well, this, this film right here, uh, which, you, uh, which you just made, and you, which you made for a remarkably small amount of money, too. Yeah. And in in, in a very small amount of time Which is uh, Did you wrap it up so quickly Just out of a a sense of like personal challenge or something Or or did you do it Was it a necessity or No I'm not here to prove anything (laughs) I was working at a company at the time And
1: I I made another movie uh, Which was the first movie It it took a long time to make Also no money Whatever I had in my pocket And I decided once that came out I felt I can do much better So I didn't want to waste a lot of time So I I didn't have much time to take off of work at the time So I took a week off And I knew that's how much I had to make the movie And my wife was uh, Eight months pregnant at the time. Wow. Seven, eight months pregnant.
0: And so now you're a, you're a father. Yeah. So there was a lot going on. Uh, uh, during the making of The Dirty Kind, she yeah. says, okay, so you must be, uh, you you must have a very, very young baby at home. Yes, a uh, year and a half. How about that? My God. that's yeah. uh, You want to talk about dead eyes? That'll give it to you. <laughs> the Dirty Kind <laughs> yeah. uh, screened at the historic Midway Movie Theater in Queens, August 6th, and it's also going to be part of the new filmmaker's uh, series uh, Manhattan's Lower East Side. That's in September September 26th is, is there any other way people who can't make it to the uh, anthology film archives on the Lower East Side as part of the new filmmakers series <laughs> and to see that uh, is there any other way they, that they can see this movie well if you're not available between 8 and 805 on September
1: 26th uh, <laughs> we are planning for future screenings in other cities and then eventually we'll we'll do something wide uh, either limited theatrical or I I'm totally against dvds I, I want to go streaming uh-huh I we've, we've had offers smart. for distribution and a lot of the offers are dvds on bestbuy.com and and amazon but you know i started thinking to myself do i know anyone who still buys dvds especially of like indie movies they might buy it all right you know 2001 came out again with a bunch of special documentaries right attached yeah. but you know an indie movie besides your parents and you know a few friends you can wrangle in no one's really going to be
0: buying it. So you happen it, so. to be at a truck stop. Maybe somebody will buy it 25 years from now in a bundle. It's it's a great point because, I mean, you as well know,
1: would you rather have more people see your work or make a little bit more money and have far fewer, if anyone, see your work? I've and, obviously chosen
0: <laughs> the first one. <laughs> And by the way, if you do want to support uh, New York City Crime Report on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash NYC. We'd love to have you there. I was always obsessed with movies, and in my neighborhood there was about eight movie theaters
1: within walking distance. It's just what we did. Forest Hills. Yeah. yeah. You just went to the movies. Uh, it didn't even matter what was playing. You watched movies over and over again sometimes. Mm-hmm. When I realized that I could make movies, I remember the, the exact moment, uh, speaking of buying DVDs, I bought a DVD of Mean Streets. Yeah. Never saw it, but I knew Scorsese. You know, when you're first getting into movies, you know the big ones, fellas and, and all that. Right. And then I watched Mean Streets and I fucking loved it. Did you? Yeah. I loved it, but it wasn't just the movie. It was the fact that that wasn't a big budget movie. You know, the exteriors were filmed in New York. It it felt the movie that I could shoot. It felt like if I just had a camera, I could go to certain neighborhood spots. I could get people from the neighborhood. Yeah. And it showed me that, you know, I I don't have to have this budget because here was this big Hollywood director who, you know, gets these crazy budgets
0: to make movies, but he made this movie. You know, now how did he get the rights to Heart of Stone? by the Rolling Stones, if he had... I mean, that alone must have cost, I mean, a lot of money, right? Well, it's because of movies like Mean Streets and American Graffiti was a very big one
1: that music became a big part of the film industry because back then movies were scored. You didn't have a lot of sort of just like rock songs or, or regular songs you'd hear on the radio and movies. So the cost wasn't as high. Yeah, because huh? okay. for them it was, well, Rolling Stones get promotion also. You know, it's like, well, we're going to have our music in movies. Now you were mentioning sort of, you know, the experience, the Russian experience, how it builds you, I feel that also influenced the way I go into making movies, where it's sort of, there is a lot of sarcasm, but obviously I love crime dramas, crime thrillers, Uh, but the more movies I watch, I realize that genres aren't just like crime thriller, it's more about the type of movie, and I love the movies where It's more about the characters. It's more about the story. Like we were talking earlier about mysteries and why I'm not a huge fan of mysteries. Right. And that's because, for the most part, you watch a mystery, it's all about that big twist at the end. And once you know that twist, I feel a lot of those movies aren't built in a way where you can rewatch them and still enjoy them the same way, where
0: they're sort of built just for that, you know, final payoff. It would have to be one of those twists, one of those Kaiser Soze twists that redefines the whole movie, and then you, you, you might just, feel compelled yeah, to watch it again, we're, we're, but, but even, usually it's not that.
1: Yeah, but even Usual Suspects, the characters are so great. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, Little House on the Prairie with criminals, yeah, where the movie is not about Kaiser Soze. The movie is about the relationship of all the criminals.
0: What's what's your favorite New York City movie?
1: I mean, Raging Bull is definitely a big one, mm. uh, and it's, again, like I said, I'm drawn to a lot of the, the crime stuff, and that's a boxing movie, but it's about the criminal underworld of yeah. New York and what drove the boxing world, and the reason why I love it is because New York is such an immigrant city where you have these little clusters, and what happens is these clusters develop their own cultures, and it's not even, you know, the world, the Italian world you saw in Raging Bull, that's not Italy. That's the Bronx, circa whatever it was, the 40s, the 50s. Mm-hmm. So to see how they sort of created their own government, their own laws, their own sort of police force, I just find it so fascinating. Yeah, they sort of, their own customs, maybe yeah. based on the old customs, but yeah. an update. And then what ends up happening is you have people shot in the middle of Broadway. You know, so uh, Yeah,
0: uh, it, it, and a guy so dumb that he chips the jewels off the belt. To me, that's a, the most heartbreaking thing in the movie. Yeah, and the you belt know. was worth more. Of course. I mean, he's got the belt intact as this championship belt, and he's like, I brought the the, the jewels, the but diamonds, does, or whatever. It's just a it's a moment where I think you realize like how disconnected from reality this guy is. But that's something, and you definitely know this. Just
1: spending so much time filtering through news stories of crime in New York, that criminals, for the most part, they're very intelligent at making money illegally, mm-hmm. and even that not always. Right but that's sort of where the intelligence lies cuz that's the only place they they're studying you know it's sort of like you, you know you got to do 10,000 hours of something to be a professional right well their 10,000 hours was spent towards you know busting heads
0: in the ring yeah. yeah so you know and and like you said even at that a lot of times they aren't very good they're, if you are a criminal and you can hear me saying this right now it really doesn't go as far as it did at one time but get a metro card I think they caught a lot of people that way. It's like, you know, with broken windows now, and we've talked a lot about this on the show, pretty much ad nauseum, because it's such a big part of New York right now. They're letting go of that, and you've been here all your life. What's your impression of that? Of broken windows? Well, uh, and and, and the decision to kind of let go of it.
1: Well, I mean, I happened to grow up sort of... uh, I was born at the tail end of that. I came up during the Giuliani era. So the New York that I knew... Was sort of, you know, I heart New York clean. I still think Giuliani should have a statue built for him in Times Square. I mean, everyone rags on him, but, you know, they don't, they forget that he wasn't the September 11th mayor. He was the mayor that cleaned up New York. Yeah. So now what I see happening is all the people who are talking about, oh, I hate Disney in uh, Times Square. I don't even think Disney's there anymore. But they say, oh, they they turned it to commercial. Well, you're going to start seeing what it was before it was commercial. And yeah, yeah, I love Taxi Driver in a movie. But when you got to start living it again, I mean, think about how bad New York was. You get movies like Death Wish where they pretty much believed that a person in New York would just start killing people because that was the only way he felt he could protect his community. You get movies like Escape from New York where they believed, you know, let's make a sci-fi movie where New York is turned into a prison. So the perception of what New York is as a city has totally
0: changed, but enough time has passed that people forgot. Yeah, so, yeah, and the time has passed. They've either forgotten or they weren't here and and like when yeah. you say forgotten it's a whole generation. Well, that's what I mean. Generations yeah. move on, the generations. And 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 you're like uh you know, you should be of that generation, but I guess, you know, if you apply a little intelligence, you can say, "Wait, maybe I don't want to get beaten up in Times Square. Maybe I don't want to pass 15 porn theaters in a row." Uh, trying to get to my train. Maybe I don't want to have to uh, give somebody five dollars or shoot them on the train. You know, it's it's uh, well, it, I still it seems logical the so distribution. So let's not knock the porn theaters, but uh... <laughs> well, they're not there anymore. <laughs> uh, it, 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 there is there really. I mean, porn theaters are obviously the thing in the past because the internet and, and and other shit, home entertainment and stuff. Well, a sort of home theater happened
1: because of porn. I mean, the whole thing about VHS. You know, that's they won the porn wars between Betamax because VHS started selling porn, now and then it exploded. That's why they won. That is yeah. it. Huh? And I that, I was, that I, Killed boogie nights. We were talking about that, where they said the future is video. No
0: I, one wants to sit in the theater with a trench coat. I always figured that was for boring technical reasons, the Beta and the and the VHS, but it was for porn. They had more porn. Wow. This is Donald J. Trump, President of the United States. You're listening to New York City Crime Report. Dixon. Hey, you ever notice how this podcast, New York City Crime Report, never has any ads? You know why? Because I think it shits up a show. So if you want to make up for what the ads don't bring in, go to patreon.com slash Pat Dixon NYC and throw me three dollars a month. Three. Three bucks. Five bucks even. A little bit, but it really goes a long way. Make this show go on ad free and I appreciate. Okay, so thanks. so the dirty kind is like a, a crime thriller, I guess, but and 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 it's it's a very unusual movie. I I, I watched it today, in fact, and uh, it's uh, and I watched I watched much of it twice because I would sort of. Um, sort of enjoy something and go back, you know, and just kind of, like, review it. So when you watch a movie, you see, well, what does a gangster look like? What do
1: they do? You owe me money, I'm going to break your fucking thumbs. You know, that's what we imagine someone would do to in- intimidate someone. Yeah. But after, you know, doing all the research and studying groups like the Westies and Hell's Kitchen in the 70s and 80s, you start realizing that when you've been, you know, shaking people down for money for 20-some-odd for years— you figure out there's more efficient ways that
0: we just don't know because we haven't been in that world uh-huh and uh one of the, an example of that would would be um, the scene where he's not shaking a guy down for money uh, exactly he's, he's trying to intimidate he's him intimidating yeah. him uh intimidating our hero the uh, uh that would be Raymond uh, our uh, uh private eye and a young private eye who's in the early stages of learning himself so he's uh sort of outmatched in terms of experience with these guys and he is uh Basically, uh, I guess jizzed on would be yeah. a fair enough way to put it. And yeah. so they would actually, and this is taken from an actual story, an actual yeah. guy masturbating on a guy yeah. in order to, uh, I guess, yeah. intimidate. Now, yeah. it, it, I guess that that's pretty intimidating. Well, when I read it, I mean, it's like you said, you do a double take. You
1: go back and you reread it just to make sure what you read was actually what you read. Yeah. And in my mind, all I kept thinking was I would never have thought of that. And that's why immediately I'm like, I have to put this in the movie because I never would have thought of it, you know? And when you're showing someone a world, you want to show them something new, something they haven't seen. Yes. And this is the world. And that that this is something that we have not seen. I mean, the book didn't say whether the guy got his money or not. So I don't know if it was effective, but...
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. You figure what's... It kind of... Yeah, it does put it in your mind. What's next? And I was not able to stop that from happening. I don't know what I will be able yeah it really can set you off on a, on a chain of thoughts that, that leads you to collect that money as quickly as possible how old is is the uh, detective in this he he might have stated his age at one point I know he's out of college yeah he's like in his early 20s early 20s and he's which is unusual you don't see yeah. that too much it well, somebody... depends because again like what I had him doing in
1: the movie and this was from my own just personal experience is what do a private eyes actually do it's not Chinatown you know. Well, even in Chinatown, it starts off, he takes pictures of cheating couples. Yeah. But it's not that glamorous where he's hiding on a rooftop, you know, he's scouting this and that. It's sort of, you know, a lot of stuff where a lawyer just comes to you, he says, I need this for a client, blah, blah, blah. So in the movie, he just takes pictures of cheating couples. He sets up uh, husbands to get caught. And the technique for that is basically you just get a girl, an attractive looking girl, and you pay her to sort of meet the guy who you're trying to set up. You have her flirt with him at the bar. And, you know, if he flirts with her, gives her the number or whatever, then you take that back. And for a divorce hearing, it doesn't look too good. So that's that's what a lot of private investigators do. Somebody
0: wanted a, a cat and the cat had to get this for the mouse and the mouse had to get this. It, it, yeah. You know, all, all going down the chain, everybody gets a little bit. The lawyer gets paid. Uh, the private eye gets paid. Yeah. The girl gets paid. Somebody wanted a, a cat and the cat gets paid a little bit. You know, winds up in trouble. Uh, it, so... In this, we also have, uh, we see Raymond, uh, here visiting like a, uh, it's really not a whorehouse, exactly what it is, I guess. It's sort of like. The Lap so, Dance Club? Lap Dance Club, The Lap yes. Dance Club, yeah. <laughs> that came about
1: uh, in a few ways. One of them was obviously production budget, you know, which was whatever I had in my pocket didn't allow for a strip club to be used. And second of all, because this stuff does exist. You do have a lot of these underground sort of lap dance parties. And that's the kind of place, right, where you would go for that information. Where he goes, yeah. And I figured once we're doing that, let's just go as sleazy as we can. Let's just do it cheap because, you know, I I didn't want to show a glamorous strip club where he's going in there and, you know, the the world that everyone's used to seeing. I wanted this to look like not comfortable, not like – I didn't want to
0: make it look cool pretty much. Yeah, I – one time visited a uh, a club that was similar to that and i was like when i passed on the outside i was like wow it'd be funny if that was it and it was it certainly was it was like uh man it was in and still queens. Still queens and you still have the uh, address I, uh, <laughs> i'm sure they've moved by now or burned down the uh the woman he meets in there uh who plays her do, do you know in the plant yeah very funny very very like uh i mean not uh, she, what she's doing is not comedic. She has a uh, she mentions her psychology degree or something, yeah, which she, is just the kind she of conversation. Went to college, yeah.
1: yeah, and that's another thing that I wanted to show, where it's sort of not the conversation you'd see, but that these are real people. You know, uh, this girl's a stripper now, but a she wasn't always a stripper, and b the way she sees herself isn't necessarily how everyone else sees her. In her mind. She's still that budding writer, you know, who happens to be stripping because it's giving her more stories for her, you know, get <laughs> right. to be written novel. Yes. Yeah. She says she mentions, look at us, a couple of writers. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, by the way, something else that I noticed in my experiences where he mentions he went to college and majored in journalism. And she says, look at us. We're both writers. Mm. That's sort of her way of normalizing her life of sort of seeing herself as part of the real world and not that sort of dirty kind of world where, see, I'm like you because she sees him as part of the real world. So if they're both writers, she's in his world.
0: Whereas what actually happens is she pulls him into hers. She's selling herself a, a story of her own life, you know, which I, I think it requires a certain self-delusion to go into sex work. It seems like they're always getting their degree, you know, yeah. working on how oh, I'm trying to get money for college. And uh, then it becomes, well, I'm supporting a kid and, uh, and then, I guess, now, you might know this. I've always wondered, what becomes of the old strippers? They strip. They strip, pet. They, they, they find a place. You never saw an old stripper? Well, you see, your They're idea of eager. old, <laughs> <laughs> eventually you age out. You know, I mean, you can be now old. Yeah, 40s, that's old. Yeah, that's 30s yeah, is old. For, for a stripper, yeah. Mm. Eventually, they retire. Do you know how much money they a, make? A lot of them die, I guess, too. I mean, like I'd say that they probably have a, a slightly higher than normal death rate. I would think. Well, yeah. I mean, talking about sort of like the whole
1: drug aspect, in my experiences, I actually didn't come across that much drug addiction, yeah. which was surprising. I feel the addiction really lies in the money because they are making so much money. Oh, uh, yeah. That it's sort of like drug dealers where they're just making so much money. Why stop?
0: Yeah. I guess it's the same way for, well, maybe not. For bank robbers, I think it's a little different, you know? Like they, they, they. You read about a guy who robs seven banks. You're like, why do you stop after four? Yeah, there was a guy who was just robbing banks on Queens Boulevard a few months
1: ago. Mm-hmm. And, like, one day he robs a bank. Next day he robs another bank. They have his face on camera and everything. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm like, people see you at the Seven Eleven, Like, you're still walking around.
0: Maybe Lalo, Maybe, yeah. you know, just go move. You know, uh, it's it's odd. But they I think they're addicted to the excitement. Uh, so uh, I'm talking to, uh, yeah, Valan one more time. Valan Trub. Trub. Uh, I, and I... Yeah, everyone. Yeah, whenever yeah, I go to like Starbucks,
1: because I, I don't say my first name because it's weird to pronounce, so I say Trump, They're like Trump and give me a dirty look. And I'm like, no,
0: <laughs> I still don't know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, just the mention of the word. Yes, I'm. Yeah, it's close to Trump. Uh, it's a it's a crazy time and uh, and and your film is for us it's good, excellent. Though. Why crazy is he times? Well, it might be better for movies for filmmakers. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you it's it has impacted comedy in a positive way. Stand up because I do stand up now, and the bar for shock is so low because the the atmosphere has gotten so politically correct, and people can't hear anything on TV. It's all applause comedy. And so uh, when you actually say funny things, it's okay if you bend the rules a little bit. you know they' in fact, it's refreshing. they're here they feel like they're hearing somebody really talk. Yeah, I think there's a wide open window right now for comics and Norm Macdonald said
1: it best where he's just totally against uh, political political comedy doing it. And when asked why he said, well who's still talking about Mort Saul? You know the-, the Eisenhower
0: stuff is a little weak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh it's but but political correctness I mean, you know, yeah. uh, only being able to say things yeah. uh you know like like if I use the word faggot on stage uh, which I don't have it written into any of my material or anything, mm-hmm. but occasionally somebody will say something, and, and you have to refer to them as a faggot in order to, you know, win the crowd, make sure they know who's in charge, and uh, oh, and but- and they laugh. Every people laugh so hard at it now, and it used to that it's it's just, it wasn't that big of a deal before. There used to be an unwritten rule whenever I'd go to a comedy club that whatever
1: was said there was accepted as sort of like a joke. It's like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, and you know. And that's why a lot of comedians I feel aren't Like you know Jerry Seinfeld a big thing Where he said he's not doing colleges anymore And that's Jerry Seinfeld With
0: yeah. his sort of you know routine Well colleges and clubs are yeah. completely different planets Yeah so it's They always have been but now more than ever yeah. It used to be like oh if you want to play colleges You have to be You have to have a, like a, a, a ventriloquist Dummy or you, have to, you have to have a guitar You have to have this big exciting act Now it's sort of like the opposite You have to be completely unfunny and uh, it helps if if you have a few layers of intersectionality to uh, you know kind of Im- immunize you uh, to from you know criticism. It's basically just a spoken word recitation of a of a blog. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that it's it's no wonder people think that uh, stand up comedy is something anyone can do. So uh, we'll be back in one second. Valon Trubb is my guest. Hey, uh, and, Yeah, and makes uh, for I, I, such good
1: comments on the YouTube page. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, you know something about some of this stuff, like uh, the Russian stripper racket. Uh, and there was a, apparently a crackdown on this. I went deep undercover. Did you really? Deep undercover before I was even making movies. Yeah. Uh, Tell me about that. It looks like the mafia uh, teamed up with the Russian mafia. They were smuggling Eastern European uh, ladies into New York to work as strippers. I I would imagine that's uh, just human trafficking. Well, I
1: mean, I didn't come across situations where it's women in, like, shipping containers, being brought to, to the yards. Uh, right, yeah. I mean, my first sort of experience, I was in my early 20s, and I was working with a bunch of producers. We were doing stuff for 50 Cent, making movies. I was very excited, you know, I, feel like, I felt like I'm in this world. Yeah. And one night we all go out to a movie, and then after the movie, they say, all right, you're coming with us. I'm like, you know, I'm in my early 20s. Literally game for anything. Well, yeah. We go to a strip club. But it's not like, like I mentioned, there's glamorous strip clubs. This was like, you know, the second floor by a Queensborough Bridge strip club.
0: Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Cityscapes. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, was, the, that was the a place a... that used to exist. Yeah, the kind of place where, uh, where, where Clee Anthony, uh, yeah. somebody gets shot. You know. Where they give you the,
1: the bounty paper towels before you go into the lap dance room. <laughs> and they say, don't use too many. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, that's sort of how I got brought into that world and started meeting all those people. And because, you know, I speak Russian, my parents are from the Soviet Union. A lot of these dancers are Russian and they got so excited that I speak Russian. So I sort of just became friends with a lot of them and the people I was with, uh, one of the producers actually ended up marrying one of the strippers and I went to the stripper wedding, which was a phenomenal experience. I recommend it to anyone. So wait, now
0: once she married a big time producer, she remained a stripper. Let's not throw around the term big time too much over here. <laughs> okay. So anyway. It's all
1: subjective. <laughs> Stripper wedding, though. That yeah. had to be fun. Well, the wedding was fun, but the after party at the strip club where she stripped off the wedding dress... That's what really stuck in my mind. Wow! And that's when I knew I'm going to be throwing making out the movies. Bu- yeah, and throwing out the bouquet is not enough for yeah. a stripper like
0: that for a while. And, like that.
1: and these people are going to be in a movie one day. Mm. Well, not them exactly, just
0: their personalities. Okay. And so that's and these are women who came straight off the boat, straight off the the, the flight, straight from yeah. JFK to a strip club. There's there's different sort of
1: classifications to the, the genealogy of of strippers. There's uh, the Russian strippers who came over here. Uh, a lot of them on student visas. Uh, They were tricked into coming here with promises of jobs. They're going to be nannies. They're Mm going to be babysitters, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then once they get here, they're sort of tricked and said, okay, there's no job for you. You're going to the strip club. And what happens
0: is they have no money. And they reveal this as a, well, surprise. Surprise, yeah. Yeah. Not like, we found a different job for you. I mean, they don't soft pedal this at all. Yeah, it's like here you're going to
1: strip. And Mm -hmm. what happens is... The girls come here, they have no money. They have no money for housing. They have no money for food. Obviously, so they're kind of desperate already. Yeah. yeah, and what happens is they lend them, like, say, $10,000. And they say, okay, well, now you owe us this money. you got to pay it back by a certain point. Otherwise, you got to work it off. Uh-huh. And it's sort of like prison, where I love to watch prison documentaries, where someone shows up and, yeah, I'll give you a Kit Kat, but you got to give me two Kit Kats next week. And if you don't, then you owe me five the following week until you're so indebted you're that blowing you just become someone's. Yeah. yeah. And that's sort of what happens in that world. Then there's the type which I noticed more sort of American strippers uh, was sort of rough childhoods, you know. They had issues, and they sort of went into this knowing what they're doing. And again, once once they're making the kind of money that they're making, yeah, it, it sort of becomes an addiction to the money. Which is once you've been molested, yeah, raped, it's, everything it's, else has happened. It's You're easy like, money. Fuck it, my yeah. body
0: is just a. It, 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 this is a uh, commodity.
1: Yeah, it's it's easy money. And what happened was at some point. Uh, I sent you the the news article. Mm-hmm. There was a big bust on all these clubs.
0: Yeah, right here in New York City. Uh, it looks like 20 suspects, uh, according to the story. And this story comes to us, uh, you know, actually uh, from uh, a little bit in the past. And uh, it's around 2011, I guess, is when this, this crackdown occurred. 20 suspects, seven reputed Gambino and uh, Banano mobsters. Oh, my goodness, not the Bananos. <laughs> they were arraigned in, in uh, Manhattan federal court. Uh, racketeering and uh, visa fraud. It seems like racketeering is a great catch all. You can sort of like sweep a lot of people up uh, under the RICO statutes. Uh, the uh, It says the schemers, and I love the strong nouns of the Daily News. They allegedly <laughs> recruited women in, in Russia and neighbor, neighboring countries throughout. Uh, well, using Facebook. Oh, my God. See, they, they didn't really get too worried about social media, Facebook <laughs> being used for shit like this. And uh, oh, clubs like Cheetahs. Now, Cheetahs uh, is in Manhattan. That's in Times Square. And uh, and they mentioned another club, Perfection in Woodside. Yeah, that's, of course, in Queens, uh, off the 7 train, if you want to go there. I doubt Perfection is still they there. They don't exist anymore. I, yeah. haven't, haven't, I don't I remember what hearing you about it. I won't read in the article, which is fascinating
1: and sort of gives you a really grim look at the whole thing. is The night this happened, I started getting texts where Oh, we're just going to be working at this other place. So, all the girls that didn't get rounded up, they were just shuffled to another place.
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, you need more money more than ever now, you know, yeah. for legal so defense and everything. The,
1: the Ferris wheel just keeps on turning.
0: Yeah, you cannot stop people from having something they want, and stopping crime is not as easy as arresting 20 people. Um, it says that, uh, you know, since Visa laws barred them from adult entertainment, the suspects, you know, they would offer them summer waitressing jobs. You're just coming here for that. And, and it says they even sent recruiters to lurk around Kennedy Airport. Uh, trying to spot women from Eastern European countries. What do you do? Just find a woman who looks really uh, cynical and depressed, and perhaps wearing a fur hat or something. I don't know. How do you? I, how do they do that? I wonder. They're probably driving the same cabs that they were taking them home in. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Where to? Uh, and uh, yeah. So a warning to all the girls coming into Kennedy: stay away from the guy with Armani Exchange.
0: Yeah, it says uh, they sent uh, mobsters. They sent female emissaries to upstate New York to find young single men willing to marry expatriates I, I i've never seen this word what is this word it's e c d y c s word mm-hmm. i believe that to just be a typo oh what could, what expatriates what then oh it is a word here's how wow. it's pronounced E-c-de-zi-ist. a striptease performer the more you know ecadiziast oh she's the best ecadiziast i've ever seen She's such a talented young echadesiist. <laughs> what a fucking weird I guess uh That's
1: uh, what you call it when it's what
0: you major in. Yeah. I guess <laughs> Right. When you do it just for the love and not for the money. Well, it's still uh, a thing today. A lot of strippers are Russian and uh they uh steal sometimes. You know, they I love it when they when they sweep up women and they find them who have uh, you know, drugged a guy and taken him back to a hotel, you know, say from uh sapphire you know up on the uh sort of on the upper up, uh, around near danger fields so 60th street sapphire class place kind of place you find a guy wearing a rolex that you might want <laughs> uh, fascinating shit now uh you have an interest in in crime from all areas in new york right yeah and uh i, I, I mean it's everywhere it, it, you mean besides New York City? No, no, I mean in New York, it's, oh. it's every
1: aspect. But the thing is, because the city changed so much, like, Amazon's not just killing, you know, mom-and-pop shops. It's hurting criminal enterprises because a lot of that money used to come from shaking down small businesses. Uh, so now if everything's a cell wow. phone store or a bank, you're not going to be shaking them down
0: wow, I never thought of that. Yeah. Man, it affects everybody. This is some commercial <laughs> banking right here, yeah. Yeah, so you, gotta, yeah, you can't shake down Walmart. You can't shake down uh, you mm. know, the fucking Dunkin' Donuts. Or can you? Well, they'll just
1: go to whoever, you know, is their boss or whatever, and they'll call headquarters, and they'll get involved with the FBI or whatever, I'm guessing. But it's not the same as a small business. No, they,
0: where you're on your own. And yeah. It's a time uh, in New York now where you see less mafia stuff, you think. But it must still be there, right? Well, there was just that
1: shooting recently in the Bronx where the guy was rolling out of his car to avoid it. Oh,
0: I thought that was Staten Island. That was Staten Island? Yeah, I think it was Staten Island because I, I, I recall that. and it was, uh, yeah. it was the greatest video I've ever seen. You should put it to Benny Hill Music. It is it is a very amusing sight. And the guy didn't die, so it's like, okay, not so bad. But that's another thing we were talking about where if you're a professional criminal, there's just things you know
1: that we don't know. Mm. Where it's someone shooting at you, you're in a car. You're going to react completely differently than he did, you're going to freak out. This dude, he starts getting shot at, he opens the door, rolls out, rolls to the back of the car, crouches, waits for the guy to get around the car, then rolls away. Mm. And then, you know...
0: I wouldn't have known to do that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) In fact, it would... It's funny that you interpret it that way, because I just thought that was his version of freaking out, but I, it must have saved his life. He's a, He was a Bonanno, I believe. Yeah. Uh, related oh, yeah. to Vinnie Gorgeous. I'm still surprised the families even exist. That's the in, thing. In that capacity. Yeah, what do they do? Do you have any idea? How do they make their money? Is it all in sanitation? It's, it's probably
1: still construction sanitation. and all that stuff. I mean, I was reading this interesting piece where they were talking about why everything is so expensive in New York and mm. places like New York. And it's not just because, oh, it's expensive to live here. Think about it. If every building that costs more than a certain amount of millions to build is going to have to use a certain union, use whatever, because they're being skimmed by mafia families, who's going to have to pay the difference? It's not going to be the, the business. It's going to be, you know, the shops, whatever they're selling, it's just going to be more expensive. Right. It becomes higher. So prices become higher.
0: Right. What are you going to expect them to absorb the cost? They pass yeah. it on. That's how we all pay for for crime. Uh, Mickey Spillane. Is uh, an interesting story. He's an uh, Irish American mobster, very famous. He yeah. sort of held down uh, Hell's Kitchen for for many years. Last of the Gentleman gangsters. Yeah.
1: And uh, what happened was he's the one who sort of really kept Hell's Kitchen Irish. He wanted to keep uh, the Italian gangsters out, and that sort of resulted in a gang war in the 70s, yeah, in the 60s and 70s, uh, and that was sort of the rise of the Westies, which. If you can, read about them. There's a great book by, I believe, uh, T.J. English about uh, the Westies and their history in Hell's Kitchen. And they're sort of the archetype now of okay, we're going to kill someone, we're going to chop up the body, we're going to hide the pieces in different places. They were just incredibly vicious and used at one point as a hit squad for uh, the mobsters, yeah, the Italian mob. Now, wh-
0: what's a gentleman gangster? Is this the guy who, I guess, you would say, uh, you know, sort of acknowledges people uh, and, and who are just regular people He's and gives back to the and community? Understands that blood is bad for business. Uh.
1: and and what happened was when Jimmy Coonan came up and mickey featherstone it turned into the wild west yeah and of course when stuff like that's happened that's when you start getting crackdowns
0: and he had nothing to lose the uh, coon i guess uh, they had less to lose jimmy c and and i mean he's like, more since of a
1: sociopath who knows i mean i, well, I don't know their psychology but uh, <laughs> i just try
0: just try. just, a, try, just a just a tougher sort of branded dude maybe yeah. uh they uh, murdered him Essentially, outside his home.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, he was murdered, and now is sort of. So, what happened was the the straw that broke the camel's back was the development of the Jacob Javits Center on the West Side, and the Mafia wanted sort of to be involved with that because there was a lot of money in there to be made, to be skimmed. In the Jacob Javits Center. Yeah. Well, and, tell me about that. What is that? Well, that's a convention center on the West Side. Okay. And, and so
0: they and and so the mob would control this.
1: Well, what they wanted to do is when it was being built, you know the. Con- contractors the everything whenever oh, you're building the, a building the yeah building the construction of it, it actually, yeah. okay not the and running then the, of it yeah but then the running of it also the build the, whoever works there the management and all that stuff oh. the same thing sort of happened with madison square garden so what happened was mafia wanted to be making money off of that but it was in irish territory the irish gangland and mickey spillane wanted to keep it that way and didn't spillane though pay them a cut uh, on the the Jacob Javits Center?
0: On I don't just, believe just so. Just what he did in Hell's Kitchen, I thought. He was paying them a cut on on everything. I, they, they, I thought they were, they, since at the time, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Italian mafia was was running the rest of the city, and they sort yeah. of, like, allowed... They Spen- had an agreement, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. but that did not
1: involve what they wanted uh-huh. for the convention center. I see. And so Jamie Coonan saw this as an opportunity, and he buddied up with uh, with uh, the Italian mob. The Gambinos. The Gambinos, yeah. He ended up becoming good friends with Roy DeMeo. Mm-hmm. And what happened was they killed, uh, well, first they pushed Mickey Splane out. They killed his crew. And then he was technically already out, but he still wanted, Jimmy Coonan. still wanted Mickey Splane killed as revenge for what he did to his father. He, it really is like a movie. Yeah. This whole thing. What happened was dude, Mickey per, Splane. Personal grudge there. Yeah. yeah. Mickey Spillane had a racket where he would take local businessmen, uh, kidnap them and then hold them for a ransom. And the amounts were always kept small so that they could pay. Cause the whole point was to get paid and let the, let the dude go. Mm. Jimmy Coonan never forgot this. That, that sort of became his life's ambition. Yeah, because he was not only, his dad was kidnapped, but yeah. he wasn't only kidnapped. he was Beaten di- up. Yeah. yeah,
0: beaten mercilessly.
1: And what happened was, when he was still very young, Jimmy Coonan, I believe he was a teenager, he actually shot at Mickey Spillane from a rooftop with a machine gun. Wow. By the way, this is just to showcase how New York has changed. Yeah. What's sort of
0: acceptable and not acceptable? Yeah, that that would not happen today. If this happened now, it would be pandemonium. Well, you know, hopefully it doesn't go the way of London and start saying, like, we need to buy back knives. Why would you need a sharp <laughs> knife? Yeah, it's really a funny thing. But
1: London in general, because you brought up the Craze the and the Richardsons. Yeah. Because while I was doing research for the movie, I was just looking at a lot of famous criminal, you know, gangs and families. And, it's a fascinating rabbit hole. Yeah, and, and connecting, sort of looking at what was happening in New York at the time and what was happening in London. I mean, it's day and night. Yeah, there's still murder and all that, but nowhere in my research of what was happening in the London underbelly mm. do you have just, you know, random brutal murders on a regular basis, chopping people up, cutting off people's heads, and then putting them on the bars. You have a drink before the end of the night. That's a Westie thing. Oh, yeah, that that was a Westie thing, and and there was none of that. I mean, the big thing that I read about the craze was uh, I don't remember which one it was. I, I think it was uh, Ronnie Cray, the Cray family. Yeah, there's Reggie and and Ronald. And he always wanted to kill someone because he had this ambition of being an Al Capone-style gangster, which is what you have here with the murders. So he ended up shooting someone in a bar. And that was, like, the craziest thing. That was the biggest thing.
0: And I'm like, here, that was, like, a Tuesday in the 60s, you know? Well, uh, it's... uh... It is it is a fascinating time, seventies, eighties in crime, and especially the mafia. People tend to romanticize it, you know, but like it's, uh, it, and really it's hard not to. I mean, like they, I know the mob, the mafia, um, you know, allegedly or or you know, according to story or whatever, they were really interested in the Godfather and like making sure that they didn't represent it in a, uh, their business in an unfair way or something. And really, if they did anything, they start. That was there's always been mobster movies, but that one I think defined. The next era, you know, up until maybe what The Sopranos, I guess, you know, uh, maybe sort of put a, a redefinition, or maybe something that Scorsese well, you had did. Good fellas, yeah, yeah. In yeah, terms they... of
1: a straight mob movie,
0: but, yeah. Uh, well, the thing that The
1: Godfather did was there was always gangster movies, but in terms of the Italian mob, The Godfather was really the first landmark film. You look uh, at the yeah. gangster movies of the '30s, and who's the chief gangster? One of my favorite actors,
0: James Cagney. Yeah, you so know, he, It was one never like the Italian
1: mob. It was. You know Humphrey Bogart and James Cagney just well, playing
0: bootleggers. And really, yeah, that's what you had, right? I have had yeah. a lot of uh, Irish Americans, the Kennedys, you know, yeah. and, uh, controlling a lot of that stuff. Uh, crime families that w- that were just like hell, you and me, uh, and Jewish mobsters as well. Yeah, Meyer Lansky, the model for uh, how it was uh, Mo Green. I think. That was Bugsy Siegel. Oh, Bugsy Siegel. Yeah. Meyer Lansky would be Hyman Ross. was the
1: second one, yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting about the Jewish gangsters is when they started off, it was much more violence-driven, where you had sort of Bugsy Siegel and you had the hitmen. And then as time went on, they sort of went more into the business side.
0: They legitimized it yeah. quicker, yeah.
1: And either they totally legitimized, or they just ended up getting killed by the Italians.
0: Mm. Well, it's, hey, uh, it's all an evolution. Talking about the mob with... Valon Trub. Who's uh, talking to? Uh, Vilan Trubb, His film, which is called *The Dirty Kind*, uh, is uh, you can see it in September, September 26th, on the Lower East Side, uh, as part of a new filmmaker series. But it's really exciting, and the film is is awesome. It's really fun. Thank you. It's it's uh, at no point are you watching it going like. Next, see you know what I mean. Yeah. It, it it moves. It's interesting, and uh, and it also doesn't like, but it's not quick cuts either. It's and it's not laced with pop music, which is nice. You know what I mean. It's like I, I love the music in it. Whenever you have uh, the the hero uh, PI on, you know, it goes to it's kind of blues. a it's yeah, a very bluesy yeah. feel. Well, that was on purpose. I wanted the movie to
1: have sort of two themes, and to sort of feel like two movies where you have the gangster side and then you have the PI side. And yeah. for the gangster side, you sort of had that you know the scoring. And then when you get to the P.I. side, you sort of have the blues music and use those two to sort of show the different worlds.
0: Yeah. And obviously those came from different sources, right? Musically, I mean. Or the, yeah. Yeah. And, and and did you, is this film actually scored by, did you, did you have no, this? No, I actually th- found the website. I don't remember the the
1: exact name of and it. And you found the right music but, there, yeah. But there's music there. But for someone myself who didn't have uh, really any budget, I was able to find tracks for like $15 a song to be able to use in this movie, which I found incredible because the, the quality of the songs in the movie doesn't feel like stock music. No. It feels That's like That's why tracks. I asked. Yeah. I, I
0: very much thought it was uh, yeah. that you had found somebody who, who would score even the classical sounding stuff. Uh, like right up at, at, from the top, it has that classic, you yeah. know, music to it as it opens and it really sets the tone. And it's called uh, The Dirty Kind, which I'm not exactly sure, which is fine, what the what the title yeah. refers to. I mean, in my mind, the way I saw it in, with this movie... It's a great noir title. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: that's what I was thinking. I had like a long list of titles where I'm like, I want this to feel like a sort of 1940s, 1950s noir. So I had titles like Murder on Murder Street, you know, like just stuff <laughs> like that.
0: I had a lot of them. And Please call your next movie Murder, Murder on, on Murder, on Murder Street. Street. Oh, my God. And just, just do it and say, fuck you, cinema.
1: <laughs> so I, I got to the dirty kind, and I was just thinking like, what's sort of going to, you know, and the reason why they named those movies like that was because it was sort of B-movies. They're like, well, just give it a title so the audience knows there's blood. So they know what they're watching. Yes. So I wanted a title where people sort of knew what they were going to be watching, what sort of genre they were going to be watching. And the reason why I settled on the dirty kind, I mean, the deeper meaning you can say, I guess, is they're the dirty kind of people. It's a dirty kind of world. Sure. But ultimately, I just wanted a title that lets you know you're watching uh, a film noir here.
0: That's great. I love that. I love that kind of tribute to it. I love that kind of commitment to the tribute of it. Although now I sort of regret not calling Murder on Murder Street. <laughs> That's the next one, man. Uh that 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 would be fantastic. And it, do you ever think about maybe instructing your actors and you directed this movie and mm-hmm. you wrote it and uh when you were directing it, obviously, you know, you you have a the limits of your budget, so you can't be doing I I guess take after take after take, right? I mean, like, you probably... the biggest issue, and this is something I learned working
1: on projects of all different kinds of budgets, is you'd be surprised how many actors don't know their lines. Like, you have one job, but this goes for every sort of, you know, wherever you go. Yeah. So, a lot of times, what ends up happening is, and People always judge people like Kubrick or David Fincher. Why do they do 50, 100 takes? I'm like, well, sometimes it takes 20 takes just for the actor to know their lines. Yeah, and, that's, you know? And, that's, and that's just to know the lines. That's just the start, right? Yeah.
0: You can say them. Okay. Yeah. So Thank it's you, maybe, sir. It's
1: maybe by the 50th take that they start actually acting the lines. So for this movie, because I had maybe like two hours to shoot a scene sometimes, maybe even less, I was just focused on, okay, let me get something that I can then piece together into a movie. And, yeah. then, and, and experience like that also comes from understanding that everyone's nervous everyone's there you're you know you got the spotlight on you so uh, something that i like to do is if i notice that an actor sort of having some trouble you obviously never want to put more pressure on them so you know what i say is you know what i got to step out we're having trouble with the next location so i take you know my and friend who was producing with me i say we got to go discuss we might lose the next location so now they're worrying about me then I come to another actor, I say, why don't you just run lines with him for five, ten minutes? Yeah. And then I leave, and then when I come back, things are much more settled. You know, mm. they're not thinking about themselves, they're running the lines, and then we can sort of
0: go on with it. Interesting. It seems like there's a division in the cast, too. The the, the people who are representing, I guess, more ostensibly kind of like what you would call the good, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. team versus like the the experienced, older, grizzled. Uh, now, I, I the guy's name uh, escapes me you watch a movie once and there's a lot of first names, but the character who uh is uh you know kind of like the instigating uh you know baddie uh you know not the the one who is uh connecting not the one who goes to see the state senator at the beginning, but his the guy the he, one goes who he to. owes money to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that guy is extraordinary. That
1: yeah, that was a... Uh... Mickey, Mickey uh, McElroy. Yeah. In the movie, yeah. Yeah. That character in general, uh, there's there's something that I wanted to do with that where, again, you show these criminals, I want to show them as real people who have real histories. You know, they went to high school together. I mentioned, you know, there's a yearbook where he's in the yearbook. Yes. Like, these are real people, you know? You when you went to high school with someone and then they grow up, it's like, well, what did you become? Oh, I kill people.
0: And at yeah. that moment, we don't know quite yet. Yeah. So it's sort of like, we're. I was, I was accepting him as like, you know, obviously the guy has some sort of a... Uh, uh, he, he reluctance to go. He, yeah. He's not happy that he's there, but yeah. you know. It, it, but then he, uh, you know, he's sitting down. all is friendly. Yeah. He's uh, talking they to his wife. Other, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, at the moment uh, she's out of the room, he uh, he just takes on it. I was shocked at the change. Yeah. That that he comes when he when he turns to to speak with the guy privately. But that's how these these sort of criminals
1: are, and that's what I think a lot of gangster movies do well. Where especially Scorsese, who does a lot of gangster stuff where a character can be incredibly charming and then the next minute you realize they're fucking psychopaths. I mean, yeah. Joe Pesci and Goodfellas, that uh, whole, you know, yeah. am I a clown here to amuse you? Heat the transition, as well. yeah, the, the transition. Heat, I'm sorry, Casino. Casino, yeah, the yeah. transition of that scene is sort of like, you know, I wanted to be at that bar. I wanted to be there hanging out with you guys, laughing, drinking, you're having a great time. And then you realize that at any split second everything can change because these people live in the world where violence is not off the table right. with
0: anyone. Yeah. And he's putting them on at first, you know, yeah. but then the guy comes over with the bill. Yeah, but why does he believe him so much? Holy sh- Of course. Yeah. He believes him because he knows. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I know how you are. And finally, oh, come on, man. So, uh, the the movie is called The Dirty Kind. Would he be a fixer? Is that what that guy is? Or is he uh, He's connected, the obviously? The the very beginning of the movie? Yeah, the guy he, who comes and sits owes, in the truck. Yeah, he owes Mickey money. Obviously, he says, you know, you fuck over he your friend. He owes Mickey money. Yeah, he and, says, you and, fucked over your friend, blah, the, blah, blah. But why is he the one who gets contacted? I mean, like, well, what's he says his role? In the
1: phone conversation in the very beginning, he says, that guy you wanted to talk to? Yeah, well, now I'm saying call him. So, obviously, this is like a last resort. Okay. Cuz in the beginning of the movie he's sort of waiting for
0: someone to show up who probably would, you know, help the situation. Yeah, but, but he doesn't show up. But but uh, so but, but but again, like what he seems a little bit less uh, interested yeah. in the violence and he yeah. he's, he's he's somebody who He's
1: an ancillary guy. He's just friends with this guy. He's in that world. Okay. He's maybe someone who who, you know, through knowing Mickey was able to get a job okay. at, a, at sort of working at a convention center. And he just gives him like you know a certain percentage
0: okay. of, his, of his pay. Now I see. Okay. Yeah. So he and, he, and that's very much how he seems. And
1: uh, and again, this was all sort of like shocking right
0: out of the Westies. Oh, okay. Yeah, shocking, like by pay. the way. This mm-hmm. the uh, the development towards the very end where we where we do see you know some violence. Occur. We don't see it. We, it does occur. We see some of it, but like uh, some of the things that wow. Not expected at all, just yeah. a really ugly situation, <laughs> much uglier than you're really prepared for. Yeah, and that's sort of that
1: world where it's it's not just about, oh, no women, no children. Yeah, it's no women, no children when business goes according to plan. But, you know, everyone has a bad day at the office. Yeah. You know, you have a bad day at the office, you bomb. <laughs> they have a bad day at the office. Oops, now we got to kill everyone. Yeah. You
0: know, so it's... I wonder what that's like. I mean, to bomb. <laughs> uh, uh, talking to Valan Trub, He is the maker of The Dirty Kind. And uh, when you get an opportunity to see it, see it. It's very interesting and fun.